This is the Westbrook Community Church Sermon Series. Sunday, January 14, 2024. Rebuilding a Life, Brokenness. Kevin discusses turning brokenness into a launch pad for our lives. I'm glad you've uh, joined us here, and if you're uh, worshiping with us online, we'd like to uh, greet you especially there. So we're glad you're here. My name is Kevin Sharp. We're starting a, a new series today called uh, Building a Life, Rebuilding a Life, and we're looking at the, the uh, book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. But before we get into that, I just want to say on January 28th, that Sunday, we're going to do uh, a baptism service. So if you would like to be baptized, let us know, okay? In our tradition, we do baptism after you become a believer. It's called believer baptism. And we say that baptism is just an outward sign of an inward reality. And it's a way to say so, that, that God's changed you and you want to follow God for your life. So uh, we have a number of people signed up already and... Uh, and if you are interested in that, put it on your communication card. See me after the service. Email me lots of ways. Just get a hold of us, and, and we'd love to uh, talk to you about that possibility. So uh, that's good. So we're starting this series, and I was thinking about rebuilding. And uh, I ran across this article uh, in the paper about a building an old hundred-year-old warehouse. It was called. It was owned by Duffy Paper Company. Now that's not Dunder Mifflin Paper Company, okay? But it's Duffy Paper Company, and it's downtown Minneapolis. And they had this old. We got a picture of it here. It's an old warehouse, and there was a Chicago uh, architecture firm that bought this building. And they rehabbed this building, this 100-year-old warehouse, and put in luxury apartments. And they renamed it Duffy Lofts. And there's a, a picture of Duffy Lofts. And, uh, and it was an article about how they went about doing it. And they said it was difficult. It was hard work. And, of course, when they got in there and started tearing down the walls, there were lots of surprises in there. Because it was a hundred-year-old warehouse. And it took effort and it took energy. And the person who wrote the article was kind of talking to the contractor. And this person said, well, wouldn't it have been easier just to tear it down and build something new? And that contractor said, yeah, it probably would have been cheaper too. <laughs> and he said, but if we would have done that, well, we would have missed the character of it. We would have missed the, the, the high ceilings and the, the original brick walls. And, and there's a, a picture of the, the g gathering space or entry space of, of the place. And he said we would have missed all of that if we hadn't rehabbed this 100-year-old building. And, and so and as I was thinking about that, is I bet that was complicated. Taking a 100-year-old warehouse, rehabbing it completely. But you know what? It's not near as complicated as rebuilding a life. As rebuilding a, a, a life. As life throws things at us and gets things out. It, 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 it's so much harder to, to rebuild a life. 
For example, a couple that have been married for 40 years, they, they retire together. They're looking forward so much to, to retirement, to traveling, to enjoying each other and, and their grandchildren. Except two months into retirement, the husband has a massive heart attack and dies. And the wife is left with this rebuild of her life that she didn't plan on, she didn't expect. And she doesn't know where to go. Or what about a couple? Both have good jobs, they're making good money. That their future seems bright. So, so they buy a house that, that really stretches them a little bit. And of course, they have two car payments and 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 they know they're overextending themselves, but but they think that's okay. Things will continue to go. We'll continue to make raises and increase our income. So it'll be all right. Only it's not. A little while later, the, the husband company has massive layoffs. The climate change. And, and there they are with, with the husband having no job and, and the debts and the bills keep coming and they have to rebuild their life financially how do they do that or what about the guy that just feels like he's drinking too much and he doesn't think he has a problem with it he thinks he can quit anytime he wants to and in fact he decides at the beginning of the year, he's going to stop drinking. And three weeks into that experiment, he realizes he can't do it. At least not by himself. He's got to rebuild that part of his life. And rebuilding our lives after a tragedy, after something happens after mistakes, after difficult situations. It's hard sometimes. It's like going on a journey without a map. And it's difficult. And we want to jump in to this series and look at the book of Nehemiah. And the book of Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. And it's a book about rebuilding. It's a cool book about rebuilding. And it starts off just in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Let's read that together. And it says, nearby 1, 1 and 2, it says, In the month of Kivlev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men and questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Okay, so you read that and you go, what in the world is he talking about? Because Nehemiah writes this and he writes this uh, assuming we know a lot about Jewish history. Assuming we know why is Nehemiah in Susa? What is he talking about the Jewish remnant? What is he talking about surviving the exile? 
See, he makes assumptions as he writes this book that, that we know about Old Testament Jewish history. But the problem is we read that, we don't know about Old Testament Jewish history. And we go, what in the world is he talking about? So the first thing I want to do is give you a little lesson about Old Testament Jewish history. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Huh? Maybe not. But I think it is. And what I want to do is real quickly just give you a survey of Old Testament Jewish history. And I found uh, this pastor named Jeff Mannion. He's done this in five movements. And these five movements all start with the same letter, which is cool because alliteration is really important, right? If you're a good speaker. And, and so he starts off by giving us a big survey of Old Testament history that's going to help us understand this book of Nehemiah. The first word that he uses is rescue. And to understand Jewish history, you got to know about the Exodus. That's where God led the Jewish people out of Egypt. The Jewish people came to Egypt because of Joseph and his family. They became slaves in Egypt long after Joseph died. And God saw their misery and their heartache. And he led them out of Egypt. And he promised them land of their own. Okay? And this is the seminal event of Jewish history. The Exodus. You might have seen an old time movie called The Exodus. If you're old enough, that's what Charleston Heston, they usually repay it at Easter. If you're younger, you probably saw the Prince of Egypt, which is a Disney cartoon. That's the same story. It's the Jewish people being rescued from slavery and brought out of Egypt to go to the promised land. That's the first movement is the rescue of the Jewish people. The second movement is relationship. Because on their way out of Egypt to the promised land, God calls Moses, the leader of the Jewish people, up on a mountain. And he says, Moses, we're going to enter into a covenant relationship. I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And we're going to be in relationship together. And here I'm giving you these Ten Commandments as a way that you'll know how to be in this relationship with me. And the first commandment of the Ten Commandments is that you'll have no other gods before me. We're in this exclusive relationship. So I want to be your God and I don't want you to have any other gods before me. And so the Jewish people agree to begin this relationship. And so God takes them to the promised land in Israel and gives them that land. And they're to be his people and he's to be their God and they're to worship no other people. But the third movement is rebellion. Is that they could never quite figure out how to serve God alone. God told them to go in the promised land to defeat all the enemies there and set up shop. But what they did is they didn't defeat all the enemies. 
they left some people in the promised land. And those people led them astray to worship other gods and to turn their back on God. So uh, if you read in the Old Testament, there's eight centuries uh, of this rebellion. There's eight centuries of people turning their back on God and not following his laws and decrees. So the fourth movement uh, of Jewish history is ruin. Is that God promised when Moses was giving the, the people the last instructions before they went into the promised land. He told them, he said, guys, if you follow God, if you obey his commands, things are going to be good. You're going to be prosperous and successful. But if you don't, if you're rebellious, if you go after other gods, if you turn your back on God, then God is going to bring another nation that's more powerful than you and they're going to destroy you and, and take you into exile and have you leave the land that I've given you and take you to a foreign place. And, and in 587 BC, that's exactly what happened. God is through with these rebellious people. He brings the Babylonian army, they destroyed Jerusalem and, and part of their strategy when they take over different nations is to take the elites of that nation and the young people of that nation and exile them back to Babylon. And they did that because they figure those elites and those aristocrats and those young people are the ones that would lead rebellions against them. So instead of leaving them in Jerusalem, they're going to take them to Babylon, teach them about the Babylonian culture and history and education, and they'll integrate into their society. It's a great strategy. If you know the book of Daniel, that's what Daniel did at the very beginning of that book. He was one of those exiles. And so God says... Because you disobeyed me, your country's going to be destroyed. I'm going to exile you to another land. And then the fifth movement is return. And again, here is Moses saying, giving these people instructions. And he's saying, after you've been in exile, if you return to God, God will bring you back to the Jerusalem, bring you back to the land that I've given you. And, and that's where we find Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in Susa, which is the capital of the Persian Empire, which soon after they got exiled, the Persian Empire overtook the Babylonian Empire, and the capital of Persia is Susa. So that's why Nehemiah is in Susa. And they're in the exile period. But Nehemiah has this heart to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the wall. And we see that happening. And as we look at our own lives and think, how can I possibly rebuild my life right now? We can learn from what Jeremiah, for what Nehemiah does. I got to get the right Old Testament character. 
what Nehemiah does. Okay, so that's where we have it. He's in exile. And he's wondering what's going on. Look what it says in in verse 3. So in in verse 2, it says that some friends of his came back from Jerusalem. And and he said, hey, how's it going in Jerusalem? And look what verse 3 says. It says, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the providence and are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So these people that that came back to Susa, these Jewish guys, they report to Nehemiah and say, it's a disaster in Jerusalem. It's horrible. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. The gates have been burned. There's no protection. The, The people are in disgrace the ones that went back. And and Nehemiah hears this and and he's just brokenhearted. He's devastated. He's in this point where where he just can't even function. Look what it says in verse four. It, It says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. See, Nehemiah was just broken hearted. He was devastated that Jerusalem laid in ruins and that people were in disgrace. It says he sat down and wept and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed that that God would, would do something. And sometimes when we come to that realization that our life is a mess, our life is in ruins and we need to rebuild, we just get brokenhearted. We're just devastated. And we get to a point where we think, I don't even know how to move. I don't even know what to do first. And we think that there's no hope. But the truth is, in that brokenness, that can be a launch pad for rebuilding. It can be a launch pad for rebuilding our lives. Because so much of the time, we just kind of move through life and we accept mediocrity. We accept the pain in our life, the dysfunction in our life. the the problems in our life, and and we just go along and accept it because we think change is impossible, because we think change won't work. And we kind of go along and accept it and and, and live out this mediocrity uh, until something snaps, until something comes in, and we say, I I just can't live like this anymore. I got to change. I can't keep sabotaging the relationships in my life. I got to figure out why do I do that so often and how can I change? Or maybe it's after that second DUI and you go, I I just can't do this anymore. 
to change. I, I got to do something different. I got to rebuild my life. Maybe it's after a year of, of looking at how much interest you spent on those credit card bills and those other debts, and you just go, I, I, I can't live like this anymore. You come to this point of, of just brokenness and frustration and a determination that I got to change, I got to rebuild this. This is no good. And you see that brokenness it is a launch pad to rebuilding your life. It's not a, a time of despair, but it's a time where you can say, I, I got to change. I, I got to grow. I got to develop. And it can be a launch pad into rebuilding. But, but how does that work? How, how does that happen? Well, the first thing Nehemiah did well, was he prayed? And I think that's a great place for all of us to start. It's just going to God and praying. But, but it's in this prayer of Nehemiah in the first chapter that, that, that we begin to understand. How can we take that step to start rebuilding our lives? Well, look what he says in Nehemiah 1, 5 and 6. He begins to pray and he says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great, awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eye open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. You see, the first thing that Nehemiah does in his mess in the mess of Israel lying in ruins, is he invites God into the mess. Look what he says in 6. He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer. He's saying, God, you got to do something here. You got to open your ears to, to hear what's going on. You got to open your eyes and, and help us. Because this is a mess. And there's no other way we can grow and change. So that first step in rebuilding our lives is to invite God into our mess. I mean, so many times when we get in this mess, get determined to change and we think of strategies we think what we can do and we think, well, maybe if that could work out, if that could work out. And we never even think about inviting God into the mess, into the situation. Because the truth is what you want to rebuild is probably not going to happen with just your efforts and your wisdom alone. You're not going to be able to rebuild the kind of life you want to live by yourself. And, and Nehemiah knew that, that he had a task before him that, that was way too big. The mess was too great. The dysfunction was too significant for him to change it himself. So he knew he had to invite God into the mess and invite God 
to grow and to change and to open their eyes and to go before them. That's what it means. And so as you're thinking about what area in your life you need to rebuild, can you invite God into that? Can you say, God, I I, I need your help. I I can't do this myself. I, I need your direction, your wisdom your power to to rebuild this area of my life. That's the first thing Nehemiah did. Look what he does as he goes on in his prayer in in verses 6 and 7. Nehemiah said, "I, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and the laws you gave your servant Moses. So what Nehemiah does is he confesses all the Israelite sins, which are many. But but I love what he does. He doesn't just make it about other people. But he says, including myself and my father's family. He includes himself in this. Now, now the exile happened probably way before Nehemiah was old enough to contribute any responsibility to the rebellion. And and yet, he's saying, hey, including myself here, I've got some issues. He knew that that although he wasn't responsible for the rebellion that happened before he was born or before he was died, he knew that he still had some responsibility. He he knew that that his life hadn't been perfect and and that he needed to confess his own sin and and confess what he'd done wrong. And the way that you use the brokenness of thinking about rebuilding as a launch pad is you not only invite God into the mess, but, but you own, you're part of the mess. Now, now that's sometimes difficult because sometimes the messes we get into that we need to rebuild from are, are, are completely not our fault. I mean, think about it. You're at a stoplight, somebody rear-ends you. There's significant injury on your part and you got to rebuild yourself back up and the injuries hurts and significance but it was completely not your fault or what about getting laid off from a job because of economic factors the company is dealing with again it's not your fault and yet you have to deal with the mess and the rebuild that's one type of mess another type of mess is when it's completely your fault okay you know, you made that stupid mistake that got you got fired from the job. That's your fault. And you need to own up to that. Just like Nehemiah did. He owned his part of the mess. Uh, another type of mess is well, when there's other outside factors, but, but you know that, that you've contributed some to the mess. Like a wife that, that has an affair, that, that affair's on her, but 
But it came after years of neglect from the husband. The husband has to own that part of the mess. He's got to own his responsibility. And when we begin to own what's our part of the mess that we're in, that's when we can begin to rebuild. There's a man named Gordon McDonald, who's a famous pastor and author. He wrote a lot in the 1980s and 90s. His seminal book is uh, Ordering Your Private World, which is just a a tremendous book. And uh, uh, in the 90s, he had this really messy affair that became public, got fired from his church. You know, he, he got all these consequences because of, of his poor choice. And it blew up and, you know, his reputation got smeared and it, it was ugly. And, and to his credit, he, he, he took on a responsibility. And instead of trying to go back in the ministry or start another church, he, he took some time off. He got under some Christian leaders and, and he worked through a process of, of restoration and healing. His wife decided to have him back and so he worked hard at rebuilding that that relationship. And to his credit, he took responsibility for his actions. And many years later, after this process, he wrote another book. And he wrote a book called Rebuilding Your Broken World. And in the introduction of this book, this is what he says about it. He says, this book is not an autobiography of misbehavior. It's not a study in self-pity or excuses. It begins with the premise that individuals who have misbehaved must present themselves before God in openness and acknowledge responsibility and accountability. And I love that introduction because it's him owning his part of the mess. It's him being responsible, being accountable to what he's done wrong. And that's what Nehemiah does here. We so easily want to make excuses. We so easily want to point the finger and feel like we're the victim. And yet, to begin to rebuild our lives, we've got to own our responsibility. We've got to own our part of the mess and confess it and come clean with it and ask God to forgive and to restore. And as we do that, we can begin this rebuilding process. Next Nehemiah prays this. 
in verses 8 and 9. He says, remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. So Nehemiah prays to God and he reminds God what God told Moses. That even after I've scattered the Israelite people, that if they would obey my commands and return to me, even if they're exiled to the furthest places on the earth, I'll bring them back to their chosen land. You see, God, I mean, Nehemiah reminds God that he's a God of grace. He's a God of, of restorative grace. And Nehemiah said, you said this, God, and I believe it. Because when we're at the lowest point of our life, when we're brokenhearted, but when we think things can't be rebuilt, we have to understand that God is a God of grace, that, that he's not finished with us yet, that, that he's not done, that, that he has plans for us, and, and that he'll restore us, and, and he'll bring us back. You see, to begin the rebuilding process, we have to believe that that God is a God of restorative grace. And really, it's a theme that that runs through all the Bible. That that God is a God of grace. And that when we think we've blown it too badly, that, that we could never get forgiveness and we could never get restoration. God is there saying, no, that, that's not true. I mean, we see it all through the Bible. Well, you see it when Jesus was in the Last Supper with his disciples and he said to all his disciples, he goes, you know, guys, you're all going to abandon me tonight. And Peter jumps up and, and makes this arrogant, confess, arrogant statement, I'll never do that, I'll die for you. And Jesus said, oh, actually, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter goes, no, I'll never do that. And guess what happens? The night he was arrested, three times they asked and accused Peter of being a Galilean who was with Jesus. And he says, I never knew him. And then Jesus died. He rose again. He appeared to his disciples. And he, he was up by the Sea of Galilee. And Peter had already gone back to fishing thinking he was done. And, and uh, Peter called him, uh, Jesus called Peter aside, talked to him, and he said to him, Peter, do, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Jesus, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And, and, and Jesus asked him that question two more times. And each time Peter said, yeah, you know that. And then he said, well, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And what Jesus was saying was, Peter, there's still a place for you on the team. I forgive you. 
I restore you, you're going to be the leader of my church. And he deals the same way with us. There's grace, there's forgiveness, there's restoration, there's a future. And we have to believe that, embrace that as we go on this rebuilding process. And Nehemiah prays that and reminds God, God, you're a God like this. And I believe you. And because of that, I have hope. So if you find yourself just at the beginning of the rebuild process, and you're in despair, you're brokenhearted, remember that that brokenheartedness is the launch path to rebuilding. And we can begin that as we invite God into our mess, as we own our own part of the mess, and as we believe in God's restorative grace. And as we do that, we can begin to rebuild our lives in a way that God is honored and God is followed. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the story. Thanks that in the next few weeks, we're going to get into the story of Nehemiah and it's going to help us to understand how we can build a life that honors you and walks with you. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.